Hi everyone, and welcome to Making It Count with Christina and Will, where we explore real ways to make your hard-earned money count today and every day. No matter your financial goals, we want to offer practical tips and insider tricks to help you accomplish them. Along the way, we'll learn from our local financial experts, answer listener-submitted questions, and share our own money experiences. So together, let's make make it it count. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making It Count. We have such an interesting and important topic today. We're going to be talking about why people need an estate plan in 2021. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about estate planning, right, Christina? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's kind of an uncomfortable conversation. You're talking about death and end of life to the fact where only 32% of Americans say they even have a will or an estate document as of 2020. And Gen Xers and millennials have the least amount of wills. Yeah, I read that 78% of millennials haven't done any estate planning. Um, So that leads me to, do you have a Christina? Do you have a will, Christina? I do have a will. and It's not me, right? No, it's not you. Um, I actually... And the only reason we got a will is because my husband and I were going overseas or like out of the country and we had two young kids. We're like, okay, we have two kids now. We're going out of the country. So I guess we need to do this. So it was almost out of like we felt like it was a necessity, but I never had one before that. Yeah, I feel like kids is a good reason. I mean, I think when I think of like my assets right now, there's not a a whole lot. I'm pretty early on in that stage. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I probably should have one because I don't really know where my 2010 Corolla is going, but yeah, you don't want it to go to the state. No, don't don't have to go to probate for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, the good news is, is that we have some help to get us where we need to be. So let's meet our guests. Our first guest today is Mary Kaplan. Tell us about yourself, Mary. Hi there. My name is Mary Kaplan. I'm an attorney. I've been practicing in the area of estate planning, probate and guardianship for about 20 years now. I'm licensed in Florida and Georgia, and I'm looking forward to answering your questions today. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, Mary. And then we also have Emily Ostrich from Audition Financial. Hi, Emily. Introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Yes, my name is Emily Ostrich. I'm a specialist in the legal department at Audition Financial, and I've been here for about 18 years. All right, let's jump in with our first question. So we're going to start at the basics. So what is estate planning and what documents are included? When people think of estate planning, usually they think of wills. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, A will is a basic document that will basically dispose of your property, for lack of a better word, when you pass away. You can also specify whether you prefer cremation or burial um, and any requests like that. Um, There are many, many other documents that are considered to be part of estate planning. Um, there are there's a basic document also called a revocable trust that's pretty common for those that may have an issue with probate, which we can get into a little bit later in the discussion. Um, a durable power of attorney is another document that all Floridians need um, and probably anybody in any of the states, actually. Um, a healthcare surrogate is another document. Um, very important. It designates someone to be to have all medical decision-making power for you if you ever become incapacitated. Um, and also a living will. A lot of people get living wills confused with wills. They are two different things. A living will deals only with end-of-life medical decision-making, whereas a will, again, disposes of property upon death. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. I didn't know the now difference. Now I need to that. know what I have. Oh, man. I need to 
I mean, I have some more questions then. Okay, so in the introduction, we talked about only one third of Americans actually have a will. Why do people need a will? And why do you think so few people have them? So why do people need a will? Well, first of all, um, if you don't have a will, then the state of Florida, if you live in Florida, will, will dictate where your property goes. So if you're married, for example, when you pass away and you don't have any children, then your spouse will inherit 100% of your property under Florida law. And maybe you're fine with that, and maybe you're not. Um, if you have minor children, then they have a right to inherit your property. However, if you have minor children, you're, you're definitely going to need a will in order to set up some basic trust provisions for them because you cannot leave more than $15,000 worth of property to a minor child. Um, if you do that, then someone will have to set up a guardianship of the property, even if there is a surviving parent of that child. I've, I've had a client like that where her husband had left a life insurance policy to their daughter, who was around age six or seven at the time that he passed. And the mother thought, OK, I'll just manage this money for my daughter. No, no. She had to go to the court and open a court case and set up a guardianship of the property. And still to this day, she's having to file annual accountings every year with the court to account for every dollar of that money. This could have been avoided if uh, they would have had wills with trust provisions in them that held that money in trust for that child until she turned at least age 18. But, you know, sometimes people want to make that an older age. OK, um, so that's a good reason to have a will if you have minor children. Um, other reasons to have a will is that you can designate who is your personal representative, which is the person in charge of all the decision making, like who's getting the money, uh, managing where the money's invested, making sure all your bills are paid off. If you have, you know, some family members that might be good at that, but others that might not be so good, you're probably going to want to specify who that person is that's going to be in charge of those decisions. And you're going to want to make sure that that person is enabled to make those decisions without having to go to the court every time they want to do something. And if you don't have a will, they'll have to go to the court for things like, selling off a piece of property or signing some sort of contract, anything they need to do that's kind of major, they'll have to go to the court and ask permission without a will. So that's another reason you'll need a will. Hopefully that's clear. So as we've established through the introduction, I don't have anything set up currently. Christina does, but she doesn't really know what's on it. No. So it's probably like a sticky note that's like, stop so it. Kidding, no, kidding. it looks pretty official. <laughs> I have no idea where it currently is. So That's I helpful. think that I know. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully something doesn't happen to me. But where I sorry, I like totally trampled all over your question. But I don't know where my will is. I have a vague feeling I know where it is. Should it be where is a great place for me to keep my will? I have mine in a fireproof safe. So oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, so. and this was my leading question, too, about the wills. And before we started, Emily and I were talking about it, and you were talking about what prompted you to get a will. Can you share that with us? Yes. Uh, my husband and I had never considered it, um, doing any kind of estate planning. And one day, uh, someone very close to me said, you really ought to consider. Uh, we, have a, we have a minor son, and we were worried about, you know, we had created some kind of uh, very in informal document, a guardianship paperwork that we thought was pretty good. And someone said, well, you really need to consider who would be the worst person that you could think of that might take your son from you should you both simultaneously pass. 
what would what would happen? And I my mind started racing and uh, he, he thought and he gave me really sage advice and said, you really need to make this formal and you need to go to an attorney and get everything done. And we did. And it was an investment, but it was a very wise investment. And we'll, we've never regretted it. So I just love that question of like, think about the worst possible. And I don't have kids. So I'm sure you can relate to this better, Christina, but I think that's a great question well, to ask yourself. Think of your car. You know, who would be the worst person to get your car? <laughs> Anyone. Anyone. <laughs> it would be more of a burden at this point. It's but a sturdy yeah. one, though. It's a sturdy car. <laughs> but that's true. Like, I mean, where do you want your assets to go? Think of like it going to the state and being stuck somewhere. Like, you right. don't want that. Yeah, to and happen. even if you don't have kids, just think about like the worst person you can think of getting your money, mm -hmm. or right? Your possessions, mm -hmm. like. So fireproof safe for my will, what other options should I consider for storing my will? I like the idea of the fireproof safe. I do want to say um, safe deposit boxes, they're secure, but they're almost too secure sometimes. Um, they're, they can be notoriously difficult to get into after someone passes away. Um, with most banks, not sure what additions policy is on that or whatever, but with most banks, if the person that you want to get into that uh, safe deposit box has not walked into the branch and signed that signatory form, usually with you present before something happens, then they're not going to be able to get in to that safe deposit box, even if they are named as your personal representative, even if they are named as your agent under power of attorney. We've had these issues happen many times. Um, we actually have to get a court order to open that box which sometimes require, which does require you to open a probate case. Um, and sometimes that's the only reason we open the probate case is to get that order to open that box. And then a lot of times you open the box and it's empty or oh, there's yeah. like one thing in there that's insignificant. Yeah. So I would kind of recommend against the safe deposit boxes just for that purpose anyway, um, because you want to have those documents accessible. And for things like wills, you're going to need to have to know where the original is. You really need the original of that document. So make sure you keep it. I like the safe set someone's home. Just make sure somebody besides you and your spouse knows the combination or knows where the key is. All right. I'm going to go get a safety deposit box. So, Mary, you brought up probate. So explain to us what it means to go to probate. That's probate court, right? Yes, it is. Um, so to go to probate means you're opening a court case like like a lawsuit, except for not. It's a court case. You're opening it. You have to pay a filing fee, which can be around $400 if you have to do a formal probate. And it's $350 for a summary, which those are the two different types. We don't have to delve into all that detail. But basically, it's a court case. You have to hire an attorney to represent you. That's a requirement in Florida for the formal probate cases. You have to be represented by counsel, which can be expensive. Um, in Florida, the attorney can take 3% of your total probate estate, the value, the dollar value as their fee. So that can add up pretty quickly. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, I didn't realize how expensive it could be. Do you have to go to probate or does the will kind of help you avoid probate? Okay. So the will itself does not help you avoid probate. Um, and, and as I kind of referenced earlier, you know, not everyone will have to do a formal probate, which is the one where you have to pay the 3% to your attorney and you have to be represented by counsel. 
those are only for people who pass away owning more than $75,000 worth of assets in their name when they pass away. If you have less than that, then you can do what's called a summary probate, which is a shorter form case. It's a little bit easier, uh, quicker. There's not as much that needs to be done in those cases. But still, you know, even though you don't need to be represented by an attorney in summary probate, most people do hire an attorney just because they don't know really how to do it. Um, so that's usually what ends up happening anyway. If you want to avoid the whole probate altogether, what you'll probably need to do is a revocable trust, which we kind of touched on earlier. Um, that's a document we can help you set up where basically it, it acts like a will and functions like a will, but you set it up and put everything in it beforehand. So before you pass away, you take the steps of putting your property like bank accounts, like real estate into that trust, which we help, we help the clients with that. And then everything's done so that when you pass away, nobody has to open a probate case because the trust owns all everything. You technically don't own it. So there's no need for a probate. So Mary, you help your clients draw up these revocable trust documents or these trust documents in general. And then when they go to seek um, an account or a bank account where to actually put these funds, in many cases, maybe they come to Addition Financial. And Emily, that's where you kind of help review those documents ahead of the account being opened, right? Yes. Um, they'll go into the branch or mail them in right now because of COVID. Uh, the branch will forward them to the legal department. And that's when I'll go ahead or me and my team will review the paperwork. Uh, we look at trusts, we look at powers of attorneys, um, some estate paperwork, some guardianship paperwork. And then once we're done with our review process, then we'll forward that back to the branch and then they then get back to the, the member or the, the future member. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting knowing the whole back end process mm -hmm. as well, like what you do after those documents are drawn up. Mm -hmm. And then also before this, you were mentioning that you've seen kind of an uptick in these things coming in to you. Yes, uh, especially uh, we the beginning of COVID, we saw a huge increase in the amount of powers of attorneys that came our way. And uh, also trusts have been increasing too. Um, it may be that they weren't currently, you know, recently drafted, but that people are now realizing they need to start doing something with them. They may have had them for years and they needed to submit, submit them to the credit unions in order to be either added as a power of attorney on the account or open the trust account or update a trust account that we currently have. I think that's really interesting hearing that there's an uptick and you, you touched on something that I think it might be a, a good cause. Like I know for me personally, during this whole year, that is the year of 2020, um, I've been taking kind of like little things that I haven't been getting done for a long time and just like working through them slowly. Like, oh, I need to, oh, this is a thing on my task list that I just really have not taken care of. Not, not anything as important as, you know, estate planning, but that could be one reason like people are actually sitting back and they're like, oh, I've never did this. Yes. I think that especially right now, and we, we think of estate planning as more, like you said, Christina, end of life. But right now we're seeing people who are healthy that just are all of a sudden incapacitated and they had not maybe considered that they need someone to be able to take over their account or act on their behalf. Uh, so we've seen that. We've also seen a lot of older people that maybe their kids have been after them for years to do this type of paperwork in case anything were to happen. And now the, the current environment is that we really do need that. We, so a lot of people are bringing them in just in case, um, or people are sick and they need help. So it's, it's really, we have seen the big uptick. Do you, since you see almost like the back end of mm -hmm. it, 
Do you have any tips or some things that would help move that process along? Or things like, don't do this because this is going to hold up us processing things. Yes, I would say that if I had to give a tip, I would say to definitely stay away from online forms that you might find. I know Mary will agree with me on this. Um, We see a lot of forms, uh, even ones from Office Depot um, that that are, you know, uh, from a little catalog of forms that you can get for, for legal documents. I've even seen some legal zoom or I've even seen some where they go to a a paralegal service that's like a mill and they just kind of crank out these forms. But it's, it's really not advisable because what we're very strict, we, we follow, we follow Florida statutes very carefully and we review and we look for certain words and phrasing and certain things that are on a uh, attorney prepared power of attorney that is most likely not going to be on a form power of attorney that we'd find online or in a catalog of other legal documents at Office Depot. So so this is not something we should be um, kind of bypassing or trying to get the Groupon deal for, if you will. <laughs> yeah. The, no, no going no, to YouTube no, University for this No one. bogos. For no bogos. It's not on the <laughs> cartwheel app, Christina. It's not. Darn it. Mary, you're not doing a buy one, get one will for free? No? <laughs> not at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like business is probably booming right now. Do you see the same on your end, like Emily was saying? Yes, we have. It's been interesting this year. Um, there was very few people coming in in March, April, maybe May. And now since then, I guess everyone's decided, you know what? This thing isn't going away anytime soon. We really need to get these documents done. We've waited long enough. And who knows when this is going to be over with. And I've been putting off putting this off and procrastinating, whatever it may be. So now we've got everybody coming in. And yeah, trusts are very popular because people really like the idea of not having to burden their family with going to a court or even an attorney. I mean, if you if you do everything in a trust and you really, you know, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, as they say, you know, your family is really set up and they don't really have to do anything. And it's very easy. It can be. So as we were um, researching this topic ahead of the podcast, um, we we came across the word intestate. And that is a very, uh, to me, a complicated word that I really don't know what it means. Um, can you explain that to us? Yes, intestate simply means without a will. That's all it means. We have a lot of these little Latin terms floating around out there and people can be intimidated. But really, it's just that's all it means without a will. Um, so there's a different set of things you have to do in Florida and I'm sure other states as well, if you're in testate versus testate, which means with a will. So if you do have a will, as I kind of referenced, you get to specify who does what. So who serves as the personal representative and who gets the money. If that's, you know, if you want to benefit some other family members, other than who the state of Florida says should inherit your money, you can do that. Um, but also there's other, there's other documents and, and, things that we as attorneys have to do for those who are in test state that we don't have to do for those who are test state. So one example of that is this document called affidavit of heirs. Um, it's kind of a burdensome document that we only have to do if somebody dies without a will, if someone dies in test state. And that's a document where basically somebody's going to have to go back and trace the whole family tree and list out all your relatives, when they were born, what their current address is. If they die, then what's their date of death? And then you have to get a third party to sign it who's, you know, it could be a family member, 
but somebody who's not benefiting, so someone who's not inheriting is the person that has to sign that document and they swear to all its contents. That can be a little challenging. Oh People gosh. get real aggravated about that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds expensive too. That sounds mm-hmm. like a lot for to leave some, some, especially having somebody do it that isn't even going to benefit from the will at all. Like that's a big, that's a big ask. It sure is. So I have two children, two young children, like I mentioned earlier. Let's talk leaving money to children. Like, should I leave money to children? Should I put it in a will and a trust? How how do I handle that? So usually the most popular um, way of dealing with that is most spouses, especially if it's the first marriage and all the kids they have or the kids they have together, um, those individuals will usually leave 100% of their estate to their spouse. And then the will or trust specifies, okay, if we're both deceased, we want this money to pass down into a trust for our children. And the money will then be put into this trust account and held and managed by the person who is named to be the trustee. Trustee is sort of like a manager. They're not entitled to take the money for their own benefit, but they're managing this money for the benefit of the children. So if the as long as the children are under the age specified, the trustee will pay all the educational expenses out of that account. They'll pay all the medical expenses, all the daily needs like food, water, clothing, of course. Um, All that will get paid for by the trustee out of that account until the child or children turns the age that is specified um, in the document. So a lot of my clients like the age 25. They like to say, when my children each turn the age of 25, they shall each receive the principal in this account according to their share. So if there's two kids you know, the oldest one turns 25, he or she takes 50%. And then when the other one turns 25, they take the remaining 50%, you know, kind of roughly like that. But you can also break it down further if you like to say, okay, they each receive half the principal or whatever their share is at age 25. And then they receive the remaining half of their share when they hit age 30. You could break it down even further if you wanted to. It's very customizable. So you were talking, so we're talking about trust. And then there's also, I think you mentioned earlier, a revocable trust? Like, what is that? Yeah. So the revocable trust is a real nice, flexible document um, that you can you can draft. We can draft it for you. Um, basically, it's a trust that you're setting up during your life. It's also known as a living trust. Some people like to call it that or they call it revocable living trust. Call it what you want. It's a trust that's sort of flexible and modifiable that's set up while you're alive. So I, I have one. So I I set it up and I have moved my bank accounts and my savings accounts into the name of that trust. So other than name, there's no real change as far as I'm concerned. I can still pull money out of my bank accounts. I can still invest in whatever I want to. I could cash it all out and take it to Vegas if I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) There's no real limit. But then I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. Well, of course you do. But then it also says that when both my husband and myself pass away because we have what's called a joint trust, which means both of us have pooled all our money together in this one trust. So when both my husband and I have passed away, then it specifies, okay, my two children will inherit what's in there as long as they've both turned the age of 25. That's what I have. So if they're under, if one or both of them is under the age of 25, when this event occurs, then I've got my, my brother, I believe it is, I don't think I even told him that. So <laughs> there you go. He knows now. <laughs> if he's listening. <laughs> He'll be managing that money for them until they do turn age 25. 
I hope that answers the question. I kind yeah, of got, no, that, no, that definitely answers yeah. the question. I think it's really great how like well thought out that is and it's manageable. Like it, it seems less intimidating the way you just explained yes. it. Like it's not, it's not the scary, like a trust sounds very, I think of like, it sounds like something rich people have. Yes. Like I feel like that's what like celebrities I think, have. I think of like, like cruel intentions trust. and the kids and cruel intentions and they're like, they're yeah. trust fund babies. Like that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like that at no. all. No. Yeah. So what happens if you become in- incapacitated before you pass away? Um, people get sick or they're in an accident. Um, how does that fit into the whole world of estate planning? Well, as I said before, uh, one thing in our department and the legal department is we do see a lot of durable power powers of attorneys come through. Uh, as Mary was talking about before, um, we see, unfortunately, we see a lot where someone has uh, assigned or appointed their daughter or their son as their agent. And um, unfortunately, right now, because of COVID and other things going on in the world, maybe they're uh, separated from their family, uh, they present the power of attorney and it may be rejected for one reason or another, and then it cannot be redone. The person is is incapacitated or they're you know behind the lines of the nursing home and no one will let them in and all of that. Uh, we we just really advise that everyone try to do this as early as possible when you're you know as an adult try to have a power of attorney. Um, the incapacity thing is 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 really tough and it's tough on a lot of families. Do it while you're healthy. Do it while you can. Yeah. Do it while you can. But that's that. The uptick has is definitely been been pronounced. I've heard now. I'm married. Will you're now married? Yes. So I have, and I'm I'm I kind of have a guess on how you have everything set up. Everything in my household is joint. Like our house is joint. Our accounts are joint. Our cars are joint. Everything is joint. How do you have? Do you have anything with your husband? Our savings is joint. Our cre- we have one credit card that is our main spending oh, our credit account. Credit card is joint. Um, other than that, no. Um, so you have separate accounts. We have separate checking of- accounts outside of that, but that's really it. So I mean, when- I think I, I mean I have my own little savings account, and he's got a savings account. So oh, does he know about that? Say he does now. He knows that there's absolutely nothing in it because <laughs> you spent it all. Well, so, no, because I put it. I I've, I've been really mm. good. No, I've been really good. I've been putting it all. Everything that I'm doing right now is going into that a security fund that I told you oh. about. That kind of like we want to have, you know, a, a fund where well, an emergency fund is what I'm trying to it's say. A rainy day. A ra- well, not even a rainy day, but just like I want to have like X amount of months saved up so that, like if something happens, yeah. we're not you know scrambling and throwing everything onto credit cards and going into mm-hmm. you know even you, more Will. debt than what my student loans have left me with. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. So for somebody like myself who has everything joint, does it, do I really need a will? Cause doesn't everything just fall to my husband anyway? Like how did, is that to my benefit? So sometimes that can actually work. Um, A lot of people try to do that um, with joint ownership and kind of a way around this whole problem of probate. Like, okay, I've got some joint owners so we can bypass the whole court system. No need for attorneys, anything like that. Sometimes that can work. Um, obviously, there could be problems, things that can come up, like if both of you die simultaneously, for example, that's the first thing you know that comes to mind. It's not likely, but it does happen. 
Um, so if that happens, then what? Okay. So then we're going to have to open a probate and then we're going to have to figure out who's going to inherit. And if you don't have a will, you have no say in that. The state of Florida is going to tell you where that money goes. And they're going to, they're going to appoint someone to manage that estate who may or may not be the best person in managing, you know, um, and they could mismanage it or take money. And who knows if anyone would be able to figure that out until it's too late, et cetera. Um, also you're young, but for older people, a lot of older people try to do that with, let's say, a child. If they've got multiple children, they'll name one child to be the joint owner on their bank accounts. And a lot of people don't say it like that when they come to talk to me. They say, okay, well, my child's on the bank account with me, and but all, all this money is going to go to all three of my kids. And then I kind of have to back them up a step and say, wait a minute, so your child's a joint owner. Well, yeah. Okay, so you realize that all of that money will become that one child's money. Well, yeah, but that child's going to give the money to all my kids. <laughs> Not if I was oh, the child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh, but sometimes, you know, sure, you can try to get around it and maybe it'll work out. But a lot of times I'm going to tell you that's not how exactly it's going to work, especially in a situation if you're older and that one child is the one who's been taking care of you. Maybe they actually do deserve to take something extra as a payback for all the time they spent taking care of you. Who am I to say? Um, but that's probably how they feel as well. So that may be what ends up happening is they say, no, I'm not going to really do that. I'm probably going to keep part of this and maybe I'll give a little bit to my siblings. And that's where you can have litigation start to happen where other people feel they've been cheated. So they're going to hire an attorney and challenge this and say maybe there was undue influence, which means okay, this child tricked my elderly parent into naming them as a joint owner. And, or maybe they, I'm going to say they stuck a will in front of them and told them to sign it. They gave everything, everything to my sibling. All kinds of things can start happening when people feel cheated. Yeah. Emotions come into play. Mm -hmm. So earlier we were talking about POA power of attorney. Mm -hmm. Another term that we hear thrown around is health representative or health surrogate. Um, what's kind of the, delineation between those and why should we have one? Okay. So the power of attorney um, or durable power of attorney is a document that deals with financial matters. Um, sometimes some attorneys will combine the two into one. I don't ever do that. I don't like to do that because I like to have things kind of separated. And a lot of times clients want one person or set of people to deal with the finances and then another family member or set of family members to deal with medical. And I think that's good to give it some thought and think, People have different skill sets. Some people are good with, you know, touchy feely subjects and some people are much better with money or vice versa, whatever. Um, so the, usually the durable powers of attorney deal only with the financial and the healthcare surrogates always deal with the medical issues. Does that answer? Okay. No, that does for yeah. sure. That makes a lot of sense. I like the way that you were describing also kind of the logic behind like, okay, which, you know, cause if my parents were looking at me and my three sisters about who's dealing with money the best, I, I probably... Unfortunately, it's not going to be me. <laughs> I didn't know there was a difference. I thought the power of attorney handled the health, the health stuff. So I thought that that's really interesting. When, how often I did, we did, my husband and I did our will, oh my gosh, at least five or six years ago. How often should we revisit it? So um, for someone your age that has small children, I would say every two to three years because life wow. changes. Yeah, life changes quite a bit when you're 
younger and your family's growing, maybe um, as your children grow, they may develop different needs. If you um, if anyone has a child with a disability, by the way, there are special things that we need to do for that child, um, because if you've got somebody on benefits that ends up receiving an inheritance that can really mess up their benefits that can disqualify them for a while. Um, and you don't want to do that. Um, so in that situation, I would say, please come in and see me and we'll set up at the very least a will with a special needs trust in it. Um, but also, and I meant to mention this earlier, anyone like yourself that has small children, another reason to do a will is to name who the guardians of those children should be. If you and your husband both pass away. Um, for other people who might have older kids or whatever, I would say every two to five years, just take a look back at your will and your other documents just to make sure that everyone that you've named is still the people that you would want to have named in those documents. Because as we know, things change over time. People cognitively decline, you know, as your parents age, maybe you have them named as your agent under power of attorney, but maybe that's not the best thing anymore. 10 years later. You know, so it's just good. And also laws change and it's good to come back and get your documents checked um, to make sure they're up to date. Um, you know, because as we were saying earlier, when when banks look at documents, they want to see all the, the statutory language that they are looking for. And if it's not there, that could that could be a problem. So it's always good to keep your documents updated. Get them updated and bring them back to your financial institution. Right, Emily? Yes, absolutely. I need to do that. I need to re because you're right. I mean, right now my parents are still doing well enough where we could trust them with my with our kids. But you're right. In three, four, five, six years, that might not be. The, I mean, here's hoping that it won't be. But yeah, you're right. And I, something that we made sure to do is we asked them first if they wanted to be the guardians, because I think that's also important, making sure that they are up for the responsibility of taking care of children. I remember my parents talking to me when we were like younger, being like, all right, well, we've designated, you know, ex family members. And like, we had no choice in it. But I just remember being like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's OK. I won't say who. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our making it count essentials. Making Account is sponsored by Addition Financial. When your want to needs a little know-how, turn to the money experts at Addition Financial. Just like this podcast, they're committed to empowering our community to make the best financial decisions possible. Count them into your financial journey at additionfi.com. Federally insured by the NCUA and an equal housing lender. All right, we're back. And now it's time for our rapid fire round. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Emily, this one's for you. At what age should people make a will? Well, like I said, I didn't have one until much later in life, but I think it's a much better idea to have it earlier. As soon as you start having a full-time job, that's probably a good time to start. Um, you'll need to look at it from time to time. As Mary was saying, things change, laws change, your family allegiances change. <laughs> um, but it's always a good idea to keep revisiting it. Um, my son keeps saying he wants to be a professional uh, video game player. You know, one of these kids that makes a million dollars before he's, you know, 20 or something. So, you know, as soon as he, any any even young kids, as soon as they start making enough money and it's substantial, they should look at doing that, too. All right, Mary, this one's for you. What happens if you own property in a state other than Florida or in more than one state in general? 
So if you have this issue, please come and see myself or another estate planning attorney. You will probably need to do a revocable trust, and that's revocable living trust, as we talked about earlier. That way you can avoid having probate here in Florida and in the other state. That And that is what will happen if you don't do anything. Um, yes, and that means that your probate fees and your attorney fees might be double or more, um, depending on where the what state the other property's in and what their laws are like. And as I said, I'm only licensed in Florida and Georgia, so I couldn't tell you how expensive it is to do a, a probate somewhere like California or Hawaii, but I have a feeling that it's probably very expensive. <laughs> well, along those lines, Mary, what about a timeshare? Yes, and I'm so glad you asked because I get this issue all the time from clients whose parents or other relatives died and they were a resident of Illinois or Ohio or somewhere else, and they owned only thing they owned here is a timeshare. And I have to deliver the bad news that, I'm sorry, we do have to open an ancillary probate here in Florida just for that timeshare. And a lot of times they're not too happy to hear that because um, sometimes they don't even want the timeshare. But in order to clear the title and to get that deed back to the timeshare company, they have to open an ancillary probate to get the title in their name and then give it back. Wow. <laughs> All right, Emily, back to you. Is it ever a good idea to draft a will or any of these documents on your own? No, definitely not. I think that uh, because it's a legal document, you really need to go to a, a specialist to make sure that they use the proper language. State to state, it may change, too, because of the laws. Um, but you would really hate to go to, you know, like a paralegal. Uh, I'm going to botch this, but. I'm going to keep talking. Yeah, um, you'd really hate to go to a service that, that or even I've even seen some notary services that will supply paperwork for you to do. And um, you'd really hate to do that. And then it's something you can't use in the future. So if, if your estate is simple, it's not going to cost much to hire a real, you know, reputable attorney like Mary to help you. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, we all want to think that we're Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. <laughs> But we're not all getting into Harvard for that. So and have her wardrobe like it's hard, <laughs> like it's hard. <laughs> so, Mary, it sounds like getting your estate or will is more of an investment that we should do. How much should we set aside to do estate planning? Well, that depends on how large and complex your estate is. But for most people, it's not prohibitively expensive. And if you come and see me, I do initial consults for free, and then I will quote you a flat fee um, that's that's fairly affordable. Um, you know, of course, depends on your situation, so I can't really quote a dollar amount um, here and now, but you're always welcome to do comparison shopping. Um, if you want to shop around and get the best fee, um, we're very competitively priced. And as I said, we do everything flat fee, so we don't bill by the hour for these type of documents. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I yeah, feel thanks, much more informed about estate planning than I did before we started. Yeah, definitely. And Mary, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and start that process like Will, how can we get that process started with you? Uh, please call my office at 407-494-6701. Um, my assistants would be happy to book an appointment for you. And as I said, our initial consults are free. So if you decide not to go forward, you won't be charged anything. And we'll make sure to put that information. Lauren gave me the thumbs up. We're going to put that in our show notes. So if you want that, well, you can find it right there. Thank you guys so much. This has been so enlightening and so informative, especially I'm, I'm going to go one. Well, no, no, no. Well, we'll keep that for what did I learn today? Because I learned so much today, Will. But thank you guys. All right. So it's time for our favorite segment. 
What, what did, did we, we learn, learn today? today? All right, I'll I'll start. I I think that I learned that even though, you know, I am joking about my Toyota Corolla is my main asset. There are other things. And I want to make sure that if something were to happen, you know, um, people in my life aren't struggling to figure out what to do with everything. So I think it's not about, you know, even though it's a not fun thought to think about end of life planning or estate planning, um, you have to do it for the people you love. It's not about you so much. Yeah, it's a very unselfish thing to do. You're doing it for the people that you love to make it easier for them. Mm -hmm. um, what I learned several things today, um, I learned that I need to look at my will again because it's been like find five it. or six years. <laughs> yeah, and my next thing is I have to find my will. And the third thing is I need to go buy a fireproof box because I have no idea where it is in my house which like the fireproof box should have like my, my the house information. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I will, you know how prepared I always like to be. I feel like I'm so unprepared. So learned so much about that today. So each week we give our listeners resources that they can use to make account in their own lives. And this week we have three. That's right. The first is an estate planning webinar from the Kaplan firm. It goes into greater detail about everything from probate, to revocable trusts, to HIPAA regulations, and how they impact medical proxies. It's available on Addition Financial's YouTube channel, and we'll link it in the show notes. Our second resource is actually an episode from our first season that focuses on retirement strategies for people over 40, and we'll link that episode in our show notes as well. Finally, we have an Addition Financial blog post that includes advice from financial experts about setting and sticking to retirement investing goals, an important part of estate planning. That link is also going to be in the show notes. Our show notes are so important. It can be quite robust this episode. It is. You can find even more resources related to savings, investing, and retirement by visiting additionfi.com resources. We'll see you next time on Making, Making It, it Count. Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count. If you learned something new, were inspired to reach your financial goals, or just found us entertaining, please subscribe, share, or rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making, Making It, it Count. Count.